0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Making the most of now. Young women in Otatahi, Christchurch, New Zealand, talk about living through the earthquakes, the mosque shootings, and the COVID-19 pandemic. These oral histories were recorded by Louise Tapper and Rosemary DePleese. Thanks to the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women, the Collaborative Trust and UC Quake Studies. Daisy is 23 and a mum of two boys. Her story is being voiced by a student from the New Zealand Broadcasting School at ARA. This recording was made over Zoom during the current COVID-19 Delta lockdown in August of
1: 2021. Daisy, can you tell me a bit about your life at the moment and how things are going for you? So, so where you're at?
2: So life at the moment for me is being a 23-year-old mum to two young boys, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and being engaged to my partner for five years. So I suffer with regional pain syndrome and central nerve sensitization. I'm also someone who has PTSD and is going through EMDR therapy for that. The life at the moment for me is going well, taking strides in my mental and physical health to be a better mum and be around for longer.
1: Can you tell us what this, what's this EMDR therapy? What's that?
2: It's eye movement therapy, where you stimulate, stimulate both sides of your brain as you walk through a traumatic memory, so that your brain will reprocess that memory and hopefully take some of the negative out of it. So it just becomes just a memory, no longer a fear. So quite often they'll use hand movements where you follow someone's hand with your eyes from left to right. Or sometimes they use sound where you wear a pair of headphones and they'll buzz in one ear and buzz in out the other. So it simulates both sides of your brain and your brain is able to reprocess those negative memories with trauma and the negative feelings you tend to develop about yourself through the trauma. Oh, so that's been
1: helping, Daisy.
2: Yeah, it definitely has. I started therapy about nine months ago after suffering with the PTSD for six years untreated, and it's definitely changed my life.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Daisy, can we just go over a bit of Christchurch-related history now? Can you remember the time of the Canterbury earthquakes? Yes, I can. I, I remember it
2: really well. I was very young still. I was at high school, and I was... I was at high school and I remember the first one in the middle of the night being very confused because I'd never experienced an earthquake before. And my mum coming in and asking if I was okay because it was just so loud. I thought a car had hit our house. She was like, no, it was an earthquake. I was like, can you turn on the light? And she goes, no, I can't, the power's gone. With the second one, my school had actually finished early that day. So a lot of my friends were in the city center when the big February one happened because our school had finished early that day for a teacher's meeting. I was at my friend's house and a lot of our friends were in town and we planned to go into town to meet them, and we
1: were lucky that we didn't. So did the Quakes have an impact on, on your life or your family?
2: They definitely did for me as a teenager. I got quite bad anxiety over them and began to act out in school because I was dealing with anxiety I just didn't understand. I didn't connect the anxiety and the earthquake together for a long time. So I ended up acting out in school and eventually I was told to leave the school. It wasn't until after I'd been picked out of school, I realised a lot of anxiety I was experiencing was to do with fear of being in school during an earthquake. Because for the first few months before I started a course, after I got picked out of school, I was home a lot more and the anxieties reduced a lot because I felt safer at home with the earthquake. It definitely does affect teenagers, I think, especially in that time of your life at 14 to 15. The environment you're in is really important, and having earthquakes and the aftershocks is definitely hard. You'd be out with all of your friends, and then there would be an aftershock, and everyone, all your friends, are dealing with it as well, and they're the same age. Everyone panics as a teenager because immediately the phone lines are clogged up, and you can't get through to people. And you worry that one of your friends is hurt or you can't get in contact with your parents over the phone because everyone's on the phone. I remember the lines, it was hard to get through, and having a new sense of independence as a teenager, going out with your friends without your parents necessarily being the ones to take care or to pick you up, midst mix of the aftershocks was definitely hard. It was definitely something that changes your perspective on people, because all of a sudden, at fifteen or fourteen, you realise that you're not indestructible as well. It was the first natural disaster I knew, and I was like, "Wow, the world." It was the first natural disaster I knew, and I was like, "Wow, the world can do things pretty horrific with no one causing it." It was the first time that we had that I remember a tragedy happened with so many lives were lost. That's hard to understand as a teenager why that would happen. I was pretty naive on earthquakes. As I said, I don't understand why so many people had passed away, because I think that buildings were supposed to be built to stand through that. It was hard. It was definitely hard for my family. My stepbrother's wife was actually in town and ended up going through a miscarriage because of the earthquakes. So that was definitely hard to see as a family member. It just shows you how precious life can be, that it can be taken away so quickly.
1: Did most of your friends, do you think, feel the same sort of anxiety?
2: I think a lot of my friends definitely felt anxiety around the earthquakes. Because for us teenagers at the time, it was really the first big thing to happen in a lot of our lives. You haven't experienced much at that age to have perspective on the world outside your bubble. It really brought things into focus. But I remember at school during an aftershock, you'd see all the different reactions of different kids where some kids were totally fine and they were just like, oh, it's just an aftershock, what's going to happen now? Whereas there were other students like me that were very anxious and with the aftershocks would want to go home straight away, things like that. It definitely really affected some of the people I went to school with, for sure. So how long did that go
1: on for? Can can you put a time frame on it? Did it start to get better?
2: The anxiety around the earthquake's Definitely, because it was directly connected to the earthquake. I think when the aftershock slowed down, people would just become a bit more relaxed. The longer it was between them, the less you would react to the next one. When it was every two days getting an aftershock, it was really hard.
0: But when it was every
2: few months you felt a big one, you felt the little shakes. So the big ones were the ones that you'd worry about. So at the time I started to get further between those, the anxiety definitely reduced because it felt like it was finally easing even though not knowing a bit
1: about the earthquakes and how the earth is made, really. Then there was another time in Christchurch, Daisy, that was not so good, and that was the mosque shootings. What do you remember about those? What was happening for you in your life then? Do you remember that time? Yes, I do.
2: For my son, it was his first year at school. He was in very close proximity to one of the mosques. His school was nearby and I was very, very scared for his safety. I was very lucky to be a stay-at-home parent because as soon as I heard about it, I was able to race in and get them before they locked the school down to get him home. I was very lucky because a lot of his classmates had to stay there until late at night because of the lockdown period while they were apprehending the horrible person who did it. It was very scary. I had my sister there and her partner worked near one of them as well. When something like that happens, you know that a certain group has been targeted, but in your head, you just can't can't rationalise that. What I thought, what I thought was this guy, this man who's shooting at these people, he doesn't care who the person is, he's gonna shoot anyone. If someone came into contact with him, I assumed they'd be the same, and it's really heartbreaking. It was so hard for the Muslim community to see that heartbreak. But also to see how much of New Zealand stood behind the Muslim community was very beautiful. And the bravery of some of the people was just incredible. It was very inspiring. The survivors and the survivors' families and hearing their stories. It was a senseless act and it's a hard thing to process when you don't see the world that way. When you see the world as everyone is equal, it's hard to understand why anyone would think otherwise. It's hard to rationalise and it's definitely hard to explain that to children. But that's just something you need to explain to your children. I remember me and my partner, we knew how we were going to explain it to our eldest because they started having all these lockdowns at school to prepare for if this ever happened again. What was going to happen and how life changed after that? I think it's very important to explain it to the younger generations and make them aware that this stuff happens and it's not right and it needs to stop happening. Kids are our future, so I think it, that was something I struggled with was how to approach the subject with a child in an age-friendly way, but also
1: in an informative way. Did your son manage okay, given that he was in a school that was very close? How did it affect him?
2: He managed okay. He had some questions and he's a child. I mean, he didn't understand why anyone would do that, and I explained that I didn't understand either, because there's no reason for that to happen in the world. There's no reason. It's a senseless act, and we explained it as there's bad people in the world, and unfortunately, a bad person hurt a lot of people. He managed okay. I think kids have a resilience like nothing else. They just take things in their stride, and he took it in his stride. He asked to take flowers to the memorial, and then he pretty much left it at that. He asked a few times what would happen to the person who did it. And we explained about the justice system, but beyond that, he really did. He took it in his stride, and he was okay with it. It takes a lot of explaining, but we were very, very surprised about how well a young child could understand that there's bad people in the world, and that there's good people in the world. For a child, it definitely must have been hard to understand that there's bad people in the world, because you hope to only have good people around your children, but he did. He took it in
1: his stride, and
2: his school was great with the situation as well.
1: You mentioned, Daisy, how you thought Christchurch in New Zealand particularly, um, that there was this positive side of it, um, if there is one, in in the coming together.
2: Yeah, the support was pouring out for the Muslim community and their families and friends. It was really beautiful how much people wanted to help them. New Zealand is a mix and pot of different cultures, and that's what it should be in New Zealand. That's the type of country we are. And to see 99% of New Zealanders, or whatever the percentage is, really stand behind the Muslim community, even if they don't understand the religion or any of that stuff, everyone stood behind them that this shouldn't happen. This shouldn't have happened, and it was a horrible thing to happen. Everyone really got behind the Muslim community. I know a couple of people that would start picking up their co-workers for work so they wouldn't have to come into to work on their own or catch a bus because the people in the Muslim community just had a lot of fear. It was a horrible thing to happen and it feels targeted. I can't even imagine.
1: And then we had COVID. So if we could focus on that, that lockdown period um, in March and April, so that was sort of around the 26th of March, about the 28th of April, and how it impacted on your life. Or can you tell me what it was like for you, particularly during that first lockdown period?
2: It was definitely hard. Um, I was already in self-isolation. My doctor put me into isolation a week and a half, two weeks before everyone else, because I have a very low immune system and I get sick very easily. She saw it happening around the world and was like, it's going to be here too, we can't avoid it. I was actually self-isolating before the lockdown began. As in, the only outings there were we were with my children to school, and the kids had to have a shower when they got home before they could come see me, because if I got it, there was a chance it would be very bad for me because of my low immune system and the chronic illnesses that I struggle with. The lockdown was definitely very scary because of my immune system. Once the lockdown started, my partner couldn't leave the house at all because of my immune system. He, wouldn't, he couldn't go do the shopping. We'd have another family member do our shopping and then drop it outside. We had to leave it out there for an hour. It was hard being with someone that's vulnerable to COVID and also having kids as well. Dealing with the fear of catching COVID while also learning how to be a teacher was very, very hard because we had to become teachers for the kids. It was definitely very hard. For
1: the first week or so when the schools were still in, but you were in self-isolation. So the only people you were allowed to see was your partner and the children? Yes, that's correct. Was your partner able to take the children to kindergarten and school?
2: Yes, but he was showering multiple times a day and there was a lot of hand sanitizer and masks because we knew that if I caught it, that would be quite dangerous to me. We were taking precautions and then when it went into lockdown, it was almost a relief in a way. That well now everyone else has to stay home, I wanted to take the kids out of school already. And when the lockdown happened, I was glad that they were home. Because even though the statistics seemed to be pretty good for the children, you still worry for your kids. Having them home was almost a relief because I knew they weren't somewhere they could catch it.
1: You said you wore masks. Did you all wear masks or just on and off?
2: Before the lockdown period, I was wearing a mask when I came into contact with my partner after he'd been out and in the time between when the kids got in the door until after they showers, showered. We didn't want to risk it and we didn't know much about it yet. We still don't know that much. It's still a learning thing. And at the start, they had said masks probably weren't helpful at the very beginning. But we just figured if masks can help stop the spread of a cold, they can also help stop the spread of a virus. And when you're vulnerable to illness, you tend to already have things like that available to you. I already had some masks in my house and things like that. In that way, I was very lucky to have a doctor that was ahead of the curve. He was very honest with me about it and what would happen if I caught it. And that definitely helped us take it seriously, because I think a lot of people in the beginning didn't. They were, it's just a virus, not really knowing how horrific the virus was.
1: So was it on her advice, the, the showering and the mask wearing?
2: Yeah, she said to basically limit your contact with the outside world essentially as much as you can. Again, for me as well, things didn't go back to normal for me until level one because of my immunity. The only change that happened from level four to level three was that we started letting my parents come and talk to us through the door. My partner would occasionally do the shopping, but he would have to shower and such when we got home. And then level two for me, it was pretty scary because we knew the best thing for the kids was for them to go back to school and carry on as normal. But for me, it was still quite daunting them going to school and opening our bubble
1: that much. Gosh, Daisy, it was so tough. What was the most difficult thing for you in lockdown?
2: I think the two biggest things for us was definitely my anxiety about me catching it and also learning how to be teachers for half a day, and parents for the other half. It was really hard to balance that, and with two different aged kids, our youngest learning activities, the recommendations from the Ministry of Education was a lot of games and such, because he was younger, but for our eldest, he had actual schoolwork to do. He felt it was a bit unfair, because the youngest was playing and he'd had to do schoolwork. But his teacher was great, She didn't put too much pressure on us as parents, She said to us, just do what you can and make sure the kids are reading. That's the big one, she really said, and our oldest has no problem with that. He's reading at a couple of years ahead of his age. He loves reading. So that wasn't a problem. It was more the teachers at school really just said to do what you could and try and teach them play and things like that, instead of a lot of sit-down math things. We did baking or things with toys to try and make it a bit more fun. It was definitely hard to learn how to become a teacher when you teach things to your kids in a general way, anyway as a parent. But had to take on a teaching role and then switch back to parents after. It's hard to separate.
1: Did you did you try to sort of make it a um, a structure in the morning? Did you try to explain to your kids that um, in the morning, you know, we're going to do schoolwork. This is our school time.
2: Yeah, we had set times of the day. We didn't. We didn't have it set out like a normal school day, because it was never going to be like a normal school day. We'd have from 9.30 to 11, we'd just be, we'd be doing reading and writing, and then we'd play for a few hours and just do other things. In the afternoon, we'd try and do more learning through play and measuring and baking, like making Play-Doh to do the measuring with maths. We'd try and keep some routine in it, because I think that was the first week we really realised we needed to keep the routine. Because it was just that the kids' behavior got worse. They were really naughty in the first week because they were home. They were like, "Wahoo!" And we realized how important it was to try and keep that part of the day structured so that they could focus. When we'd try and do, it, when we would try and do it a bit easier and just be like, "Should we do this now or should we do this now?" They were definitely not receptive to that. It was easier to just get on with their teaching, and then we could keep it more structured but also give them that freedom as well in the afternoons.
1: Were you grateful to have your partner at home to do this too, the two of you?
2: Yes, definitely. I have a friend whose partner is a frontline worker and she had both of her kids at home. She was losing her mind. I felt very lucky to have my partner at home with me. It definitely took some of the stress off and we got to divvy out who was better at what. My partner was better with the sit-down teaching and doing paperwork-type teaching. I was better with the baking and learning through play activities. It was nice to see a balancing act between us on it. And it's not an easy task for teaching in general. You have no experience in teaching. And for me as well. I didn't have a good time through school. I never had a teacher that influenced me very much growing up. It was definitely interesting to do it for our oldest. And we were very grateful when school went back. We love our kids, but lockdown is hard.
1: Kids get restless. (laughs) I guess also it was that you couldn't go out far. You, you couldn't really go anywhere, particularly.
2: Yeah, my partner was trying to keep the kids active outside and going for walks. But because of my illness, it was very much, if you saw someone on the same street, not a good idea. He had to cross the road. And for me, with my pain as well, my exercise before lockdown was swimming, because it doesn't hurt to swim, because you feel a lot more free in the water when you have chronic pain. It was hard to adjust to trying to find a way for me to be active with my low immunity. It was definitely difficult to be stuck in the same place, especially because I was worried about longer too. Even now, there's still things we haven't gone back to from the lockdown, because the risk there is higher now. I think that COVID is now a thing we're all just aware of, and that people can have and not know. You have to be more careful with everything you do. We're very conscious now of masks and things like that, and it's definitely hard having a bad immune system during it. Another thing we struggled with was a close family friend was dying of cancer at the time, and we couldn't visit her. That was very hard because of my immune system and her immune system were both born. I didn't actually get to see her in the last few months of her life, which was hard, but she obviously understood why we weren't seeing each other, because if we got each other sick, it wouldn't be good.
1: Oh, that was so awful. So tough, all those things. Did you start feeling a bit trapped in your own place?
2: Yeah, a bit. I definitely did. Because like I said, for a lot of people, normalcy would return a little too. And to some degree for us, as in the kids went back to school. But I was still doing all my appointments over the phone and having to take a break in therapy as well. We had barely started therapy when we had to take a break. All of that, being stuck at home, it's hard. But I am a homebody, so it was probably easier on me than a lot of people. I know there's some people that go out every day and do things, go out and socialise. I'm not really like that anyway. So part of it was fine for me, for social aspects. The thing that I struggled with personally was a lot of anxiety and figuring out how to be active with my pain in the 20 minutes.
1: It was definitely hard. And <laughs> trying to teach your kids as well. Yeah, on top of it. Did you get ideas from the school, or, or how did you know what to do with the children? Did you just have to figure it all out?
2: The school and the kindy were great. They both sent out packages for the kids. The Ministry of Education had set things out. Both the school and the kindy had an could support to the teachers, birth, which was great. Any time we had questions for our oldest, the teacher messaged us straight back. She was great, so the school were amazing. They sent out packages for the kids before the Ministry of Education had even started to do that, because initially they had just moved up the school holidays to start with, but then they realised it was longer than two weeks, so they had to think of something. The school had already sent out things for us. The school and the candy were really helpful. We were lucky with that. We definitely are lucky with that, that we could feel like if we had any questions about what to do schoolwork-wise, we could ask, and we weren't worried about it. That was definitely helpful.
1: Just thinking about the pandemic's impacts on you and your life, um, Daisy, do you think the pandemic's changed your life or has it affected your your well-being at all? Um, So you've talked about your anxiety. Do you think the pandemic itself has or is still sort of impacting that? Yeah,
2: unfortunately, as someone who is more vulnerable to illness, it does begin to scare you a lot. On social media, you see videos of people in hospital and all of that. It's hard to see when you know that if you got it, you could be in quite a similar situation. It's definitely raised the anxiety levels, and it still does. Even now, shopping and such, if I don't have to go into the shop, I won't. My partner or someone else will. Even still now, because we don't have much COVID in New Zealand anymore. But there's always the risk that it comes back again strong, because that's the nature of the virus, unfortunately. There's still a level of isolation for me now. The only appointments I'm doing in person is therapy. I'm still going to the doctor's appointments over the phone if I can. I still haven't gone back to swimming because I feel like that's probably not a great place when you're immunocompromised. It has definitely changed our life because it gave me a bit of a shock of how serious a virus could be for someone who's immunocompromised. We've never experienced something like this and I'm more susceptible to getting colds and stuff. I thought that it was always just okay with me, that it came along with things that chronic illness comes along with. But when it's something that can threaten your life, it's just a whole other game, really. The anxiety is definitely lessened now that the cases have dropped so significantly. But it's still very prevalent to be informed and aware and still practice a lot of health and safety type things, even now. Has it
1: made you change your thoughts about your future? about what you were going to do or, or your aspirations of things? Has this made you sort of think again?
2: My goals definitely have a longer time frame now because of COVID, such as in therapy. With any type of therapy, you set goals with your therapist to achieve. Some of these goals aren't attainable to me anymore. The ones I made because they involve a lot of people. As someone who's immunocompromised, still even now, because of all the unknowns of COVID, You have to be vigilant because when you're immunocompromised, it's your life on the line when it comes to getting a virus like this. You definitely have to be more vigilant with hand washing and who you're around and making sure that if anyone you know even has a cold, you can't go around them while they're sick because there's a chance it could be something else. A lot of my goals were to do with anxiety and leaving the house because of the PTSD. So going out to friends' houses more often and taking the kids to more crowded areas, because that was already difficult for me. Going to chipmunks, we'll say, because there's a lot of people, and now that goal isn't realistic in terms of my health, because it opens me up to so many things. It's not worth me getting sick for. I've definitely had to change some of my goals, but so that's life. You change and adapt as life goes on. It doesn't mean you're not going to achieve your goals. It just might mean that you achieve them later than you wanted to or thought. You do other things in the
1: meantime. You you talk about your PTSD and, and you're feeling that that's improving for you, Daisy?
2: It definitely has since I started therapy for sure. It's still very relevant to my life because I've had it for so long and tried to sweep it under the rug for a long time. I've definitely noticed a huge difference since starting therapy in how I treat myself which is a big thing with people with this. I've definitely noticed a huge difference in starting therapy and how I treat myself, which is a big thing for people with PTSD. You or people with trauma tend to be pretty hard on themselves and tend to have really negative connotations about their self and things that other people have done to them. They're not even necessarily things that they think of their self. It's something someone else thought and you believe. Having to get past those and treat yourself differently and therapies really helped with that. It's learning how to be okay with your shortcomings and how to understand things that seem out of this world and understanding that there's some things you can change and there's some things you can't change.
1: So you've just got to get on with it. The COVID pandemic though and your anxieties and worry about COVID do you think that's going to impact on your ability to continue therapy or, um, or you can cope with that? Do you, do you think you can work around it?
2: Me and my therapist have definitely been trying to work around it. We have changed a lot of goals into ones that sort are of more realistic in the years to come because I really think this is not going to be over anytime soon. It's a pandemic. We have a pandemic every hundred years or so and it's usually a couple of years long. It would be naive to think this is all going to go away in the next couple of months. I think that this is something that's just going to be relevant in my life for a little while. It's about learning how to work around it. Me and my therapist are definitely trying to work around it. She was one of the first people I introduced back into my bubble, because I think it's very important to look after mental health. When you have the opportunity to get help with something you thought you were going to have a problem with for the rest of your life, and you already start to see change, you don't stop, you keep going, even if it's hard. Mm.
1: Can you think you know, of how perhaps the pandemic um, might have changed your life, maybe in a positive way at all?
2: People are a lot more hygienic, so I've had issues with that in the past. Now you shake someone's hand and you think they've washed their hands recently, because everyone does now. Whereas a year ago, you'd shake someone and you think, I wonder where the hands are. But because everyone's so aware that we have a pandemic, you need to be washing your hands and looking out for your health as well. A lot of people in New Zealand can't take time off work when they're sick and things like that. They go to work anyway. And people are doing that less. And that's a positive thing for people with immunocompromisation. Because people are looking after their health more. I didn't get a cold this year so far. And I think that's one of the positives that people definitely realised how serious even a virus can get. And have taken it upon themselves to look after their health more. That in turn looks after people who are vulnerable the elderly, the immunocompromised, babies. All of
1: that. That's a good point. What's helped you getting through this? Who or what has helped you get through the lockdown and this ongoing pandemic, Daisy?
2: Really, my doctor and my therapist have been amazing. They're both incredible. And I'm very lucky to have got them as my medical practitioners. And just knowing that we're all in it together. Everyone in New Zealand who might have a completely different life to you and go through a lockdown as well. I'm sure there was things that they struggled with too. I think knowing that it's a team effort to keep COVID at bay, it's not just about one person, but about everyone. There's been a lot of great things to put onto social media information-wise. Another thing I think has been really reassuring to me is our Prime Minister. I think she's done an incredible job and it's very reassuring to the Prime Minister that's done so well in pandemic. That's definitely reassuring.
1: Have you got any thoughts at all about how we might be able to make things better for young women in Christchurch who who might be having difficulties or struggling for a whole variety of reasons? It might have had things that didn't go so well for them. And in the future?
2: There definitely needs to be more free groups in Christchurch. Not just to do with COVID, but I mean in general for young people. There's not enough mental health support in New Zealand, and especially in Christchurch. There's a real shortage of support groups. There's some people like myself, I wouldn't go to a support group normally, but I think that option should be there. There's also things like online, having a support group online, so that you can talk to people online that could be going through something similar. It really needs to be a push on that. I feel like you're only offered that if you're in crisis and you have to ask for an option like that. Whereas I feel it should just be widely available. There should be different types of groups, as in some people will prefer a group where everyone meets up and talks. Some people might prefer Zoom groups or even just text. Having more support systems in place for people, so that no matter how you find you comfortable socialising as well, you can do it. Because for a lot of people, when you think of a support group, you think of sitting in a circle with other people. That's quite daunting for a lot of people. A lot of people, especially in my generation, don't even like speaking on the phone. It definitely needs to be catered to the fact that in this day and age, a lot of people will prefer to have a message and support groups, where you have a group that you can message and support you, and you can support each other. But it's not something that induces anxiety, because sometimes, and for a lot of people, support groups in the typical sense will cause more anxiety. I know I wouldn't enjoy sitting in the circle of people I wouldn't know and talking about my problems or things I'm struggling with, but I'd find it a lot easier to write it down in a message with someone.
1: Also, it would be difficult for you with your issues to go to a support group. And I guess there are other young women in situations where, for whatever reason, it's difficult for them to get out or they're prevented from getting out.
2: Yeah, definitely. Not only people immunocompromised but there's also people in situations that can't really go to a group maybe you're in a not so good relationship and they're being kept home and having some way to go online can really change people's lives i think there's people online from all around the world that you're going to find someone else who knows what you're going through because there's so many people i know for myself i'm part of a chronic pain support group on facebook and that's all through messages because a bunch of people with immunocompromisation can't meet up. It's not a good plan. Someone's going to end up sick. So having that support group in a way that is accessible to everyone is definitely something I think should be implemented in multiple areas of life Whether it's a parent support group, or women's support group, or men's support group. You need to have a range of things because there's no one-size-fits-all. There needs to be different versions of each thing.
1: So, who needs to make this happen? Uh, you know, and how can I, you know, how can I get there? I think it's
2: very important. I think politics plays a huge role in it. I think that's something the mental health sector is hugely underfunded. I think that if there was some funding put into setting up more groups and setting up online communities, a lot of the time they just need a pick start And then they can go on their own. Especially with groups like that. There's parents' groups that you start out going to a group of people, then you eventually stop going to that group, but you still meet up with the people every week anyway. There needs to be some kind of system for that, whether it be done by the district health board or whoever it falls under. I think it's important for people to have somewhere to go, whether it be online or in person or over the phone. I think that the mental health sector has a huge role in that. I think it's horribly underfunded. We have a real problem with it in New Zealand with funding for the mental health sector, especially once you're 18. It becomes even harder to get help when you need it, and especially as well, actually, for young men. There's a huge problem with young men as well. The suicide statistic rates are just horrifying when you look at them. There needs to be more support, not just for women or men. There needs to be more support there for everyone. No one is impervious to life. Life is always going to have its ups and downs, and it doesn't matter your situation. If you need someone to talk to, you need someone to talk to. There should be something there for that, and I think having it in a way that's accessible in multiple options, I think it's really important. Accessibility is a huge
1: issue, I think. And I guess online can help with that, can't it? Yeah, definitely. I think you've talked about having people like your doctor and your therapist who you said were so helpful. But also about others, like your chronic pain support group um, is about others who have the same things to deal with that you do. So it's a bit of both, like having the people who know about it, the experts, I guess, but also having the people who've got it.
2: But we're going through it because a doctor can look at you and tell you all the things about your illness and such, but they can't necessarily empathize with you. They can't understand how you feel. And especially with things like chronic pain, it's a very personal thing. Everyone experiences pain differently, but there is some common ground, especially in the chronic pain support group women. But most people with chronic pain have certain things that come along with that, and sharing those struggles with other people that get it is reassuring that you're not losing your mind.
1: Did you have that group during lockdown?
2: Yes, and it was helpful because that was another thing that was hard during lockdown, was management of my pain because I couldn't do some of the things that I would normally do for pain management. And having a group of people that understood what it was like to be in pain and feel like complete garbage, who understood that and were like, yeah, man, it sucks. You don't necessarily want advice all the time. Sometimes you want someone to say, yeah, that sucks. Support groups is that. It's not advice. It's just listening and hearing someone whether it be in a message or a call or in a meeting. Being heard can be very therapeutic. It can just make you feel so much less upset about something. One thing that we say all the time in the chronic pain group is tomorrow is another day, because sometimes today is too much, but tomorrow is another day. I think that applies to a lot of things
1: in life. Daisy, that's fantastic, thank you so much.
0: Listen to more stories from Making the Most of Now on Plains FM 96.9, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. And get the podcast at plainsfm.org.nz, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.